you've all blessed this church body by your care and your love, and um, these that have over 10 people this week had various parts in helping prep for today to be a great time of celebration, food, fun, fellowship, and to just reach out in love uh, to greet and bless one another. We're going to do a reading together before I answer this really odd question on the screen. And I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And for our kids also, again, to be involved in, the, in this time of reading God's Word together. A topic that um, we don't talk a lot about, um, but has to be anchored and clearly squared in Scripture. And it's why I like to do it kind of in a series. So I haven't done a series quite in some time on, on uh, stewardship, but uh, this is a little quick glimpse of something that I want to just touch on today because I want to share some good news with you. But also, I want to ask that we read together in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and the page number is 1331, and the Bible's there in the pews. We're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And what I'd like to ask you to do, moms and dads, grandparents, young people, boys and girls, we're going to read the Word of God together. We're going to stand in a moment and read the Word of God. And I want to ask you to take note of a couple of things in this seven verses. One is that it's about the great opportunity and privilege of giving in our lives, giving for the glory of God, giving to the Lord, giving in support of mission that is a part of our calling as followers of Jesus. And the two things especially to note here are first at the very end of verse 7, and I'd like you to go to the very end of this reading and notice this, that we are called to abound, those last few words there, that you abound in this grace also. So this is a section that, that reminds us that giving of our material goods, giving financially for the glory of God is also a part of responding to God and it's something we can excel in. The New International Version uses the, the word excel there, which is quite telling because it's saying not only are we all called to give, all of us are, uh, but there are ways that we can excel in giving. And then the other thing I'd like to ask you to notice is way back in verse 2. And this is a verse that I think has an interesting relevance to the challenges that many congregations face today. And that is, in verse 2 it says, and we'll read it together in a moment, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and even their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now when we're reading that in a moment, just think about that in terms of being a being a generous giver is something that puts us in league with people all around the world and that God delights in the attitude of giving. And this passage gives us an example of people who were facing themselves great deprivation, but they gave for the glory of God. So, out of God's Word, we get a picture that's really very life-giving and encouraging. Um, I rarely talk about money 
uh, in my regular uh, time here together, partly because I think many times it's been associated in people's minds with, you know, church always wants your money, preachers are always talking about money, and that, that uh, stereotype is so deep in our culture that uh, what my hope is that any time we touch on the topic of money, that it's felt in light of what the gospel shows us about the great honor the great privilege, the great blessing that we have. And, of course, the parables of Jesus, uh, many parables of Jesus about our money and how we give and the way we give. So with that background, I'd like to ask you to stand together and read on page 1331, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read aloud verses 1 through 7. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear wit them, excuse me, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, we're going to read that seventh verse one more time and substitute the word excel for abound uh, using the New International Version. Let's use that word excel and read it one more time. As you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today as we celebrate good things that have been a part of the journey of this congregation and and rejoice in this shared opportunity we have in giving. May it be something that abounds in us because we give ourselves first unto the Lord and then to the mission in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know that uh, the teaching team has some good stuff planned for the guys and girls as they head on down uh, the hallway to where Miss Jody is, uh, and they're going to have a good time even in the prep. Take a moment, turn around, greet about three people, tell them, you look much better than the last time I saw you. No, don't tell them that. Just, uh, just love them. That's good. Uh, Thank you so much, and it's just great, it's great to see you all, and you know, uh, (laughs) you can... You can all probably tell that I, I really look forward to this day, um, for uh, for the especially for the kids. I just love to see what the kids enjoy, and uh, 
We always want to welcome all of our guests, and we're, we're blessed. Your presence means a lot to us here at Liberty Church, so I want to welcome, especially today, I want to welcome little Mia. She can't hear me, but I want to welcome Mia's mommy, Morgan. Morgan, wave, and uh, glad Mia and Morgan are here, and and uh, also want to welcome Amy uh, back to a- Amy Ferraro, and uh, so glad to have you here, and so neat to see Maya. I want to um, begin today... Um, in an unusual way, as I said, and that is that uh, I got to thinking about some good news I want to share with you in a quick update, um, and then I want to ask you to have your Bible open to Psalm 110, and we'll be looking at Psalm 110 and, and a bit later at First Peter chapter 2, so just a little advance there. Well, what are three words that you rarely hear from a pastor? Three words you rarely hear. More than enough. That is, if a pastor is talking about the funding of the church and its mission, you will rarely, in fact, I, I had five, I got to think about, I don't know that I've ever heard a pastor tell somebody what I'm about to tell you about one category of the giving of our church, but I get the privilege today to say, more than enough! It's very unusual to hear a pastor say that. Yeah, it might might even be a cause for firing. I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> you know, fire the pastor. He said it's more, they already have more than enough. But the uh, the reason I say more than enough is that one. I want to ask you to take an offering envelope. Again, very unusual. I I don't think it's been years. I think since I've done anything of this nature, uh, just in the direct our Sunday morning time. Because you know how much I love to get us in the Word and share in the Word. But this is. This is so anchored in God's Word in the journey that we've walked as a congregation. And I thought, on this wrap-up Sunday of the summer, it'd be great for me to share a couple of things quickly with you. If you open up a little offering envelope, you know, we're probably going to get some new ones printed because we've slightly changed the designated funds. But I want to show you this. Um, If you look on the offering envelope, we've created a spot for the Barnabas Box, which is our benevolence ministry. And by the way, that's not what I'm talking about today. But on that wall back, there's a little box. We did it physically to symbolize Anytime, if it's $5, $15, $50, $500, 5000 doesn't matter the amount, a, a love offering, 50 cents even, a love offering that went to the Barnabas box or designated on this envelope is a part of a little kitty of funds that we keep aside. We want to see it grow. It's very low now. It's down to about $46. But uh, it's a little kitty that out of which when, somebody, when there's a very pressing need, usually one that nobody is ringing a bell about. It's something the Lord has brought to us that we're able to really help a family in need or somebody in crisis in a way that's a complete surprise to them. And there's a whole story in the book of Acts behind why we called it the Barnabas box. But anytime you want to give to that, it's a blessing. Secondly, you notice uh, on the right up next to tithes and offerings is Future Fund. And, you know, we've targeted that for 20 years now project after project after project, the, the, the upgrade of the sanctuary, the custom design of the stage, the carpeting, the, the uh, replacement of equipment, uh, the, the, sewer, the septic system, a lot of this stuff, just necessities, all these things that came out of the future fund. Uh, and then, of course, the biggest project last year, the repaving of the parking lot. Now, this year, our board has designated that we want to change this slightly. Future fund will just be focused on a specific project, and we want to add, so I'd like you to write, maybe where it says, uh, where it, on that line below, special offering, the far right on the bottom, write the words rainy day, rainy day fund, okay? So we've kind of created a new designation, and this is 
um, you'll understand in a minute why I want to make this distinction for you. Write those words down, and I'm going to ask you to join in prayer that Rainy Day Fund will continue to be something that, that grows with a growing resources because there are a number of things when a small church owns a big building, guess what? Uh, there's a lot of things that just pop up on very short notice that uh, we have to make pretty nimble decisions about to get repairs or maintenance done. So that rainy day fund helps us have a, a, a fund to draw from. But now I want to pivot back and tell you why today I can come to you on the future fund and say more than enough. <laughs> because back on this little goal summary display, we just put this year I talked to you about goals in January, about SMART goals, and one of the characters of smart goals, SMART goals is a goal that helps us to stretch but isn't so far out of reach that people get discouraged. One of my goals as a pastor is to see this congregation encouraged, excited, motivated, looking forward to the new things that God calls us all to do, but in the physical structure of our church there's some challenges that we've had. So we, so we set a very modest goal uh, for the recovering of pews. Then as information has come, our board has looked at this, and we've realized that for even less and with much more comfort and much more versatility that we can switch over soon when we can process all of this, that we can switch over to having chairs in the sanctuary. And so the board is working on this, and none of this is yet set in concrete. But what we're looking at is replacing the pews with sanctuary seating that is so many varieties and choices now that are available. There's supply chain issues, so there's quite a lead time. Even if we put in an order this week, it would probably be five months before we got all the chairs. But it's a process that we'll go through as we work through these options. But as I got to looking at it the other day, I got to thinking about, you know, this is a thing to celebrate. We reached the funding goal. Your giving to the future fund is now more than enough. For either way, whether it was recovering all the pews or it was, um, it was buying chairs and changing the configuration of the sanctuary. And so those, those will be the things that will be continuing to process. And I so deeply appreciate our board, all of those who serve on the board now and their their involvement in us making that next step forward. But I also like to do this because sometimes we miss the little blessings, the smaller achievements that should be a part of raising the bar of faith for giving. And so again, these goals, some people might look at this and think, oh, pastor, that's just a sense. That's easy. Well, good. I'm glad you see it that way. Um, because we want to be partners in a goal that helps us to raise the bar in the next year, even in areas where there's an, a, a defined need. So I want to first give thanks to everybody who gives. You're giving. Some of you have come along, and maybe you're fairly new here, and, and you're getting to acquainted with how, how things flow in, in, uh, in this. You know we're pretty nimble, and we try to be very authentic and real with you. And um, your giving, and all of you, your giving has blessed this congregation, and we do see it as a shared mission like the text we read. We give ourselves first to the Lord and then to the mission. And so a quick summary of right now is that the, 
the general fund obviously ties and offerings. That's the primary need. That's always the primary need. And even in that area, we have a very modest goal on that board. It's really, you know, it's pretty modest. And it is, uh, it is a... Um, it is a budget goal of an average weekly income that helps this church stay on a very good even keel with some discretionary room to take care of emergencies and things that are unexpected. Obviously, that goal can be notched up quite a bit uh, in, in days to come. So, but we keep it in a realm that we want to encourage everybody to be involved. And it's been my honor as a pastor to serve alongside and with some people who would look at a, a congregational goal and they would feel overwhelmed because they maybe could only give $75 to something somebody else could give $1,000 toward. We've always wanted those givers, all givers, to know that the part we share is a shared adventure. But then, back to that rainy day fund, I ask you to write that on that envelope or just note that that's a part of what we're looking to. Again, a modest goal of $35,000 by the end of this year. And right now, as I, as I share with you, that, that fund stands at $29,180. So uh, that's an easy reach in the next couple of months to hit that goal. So that's, um, that's, that's the money update today. And... Always, as I share this, I also love to welcome your input, your questions, your thoughts, because this is a process that, we'll, that we will walk through in considering the, the, the changes that will make seating, we trust, even much more comfortable and um, gives us all a part to be uh, something to be a part of in that. Now, if you open your Bible to Psalm 110, Today, I want to take you back as we have this sort of uh, what I'm calling today's kind of a wrap-up Sunday of this summer season. And last Sunday, as I gave you background about the 110th Psalm, you know that as we looked at that, we saw that it is quite a, quite a unique psalm with a powerful and tightly compressed message at the heart of it that directly applies to what I just talked about, giving of our hearts unto the Lord. Yes, money and finances is part of that, but it's only one part. The giving of my heart to God as a worshiper who is grateful for what God has done for me, the giving of my heart to God has both visible and invisible aspects to it. When we think about giving, tithes and offerings, contributing to congregational life or any mission or ministry, that's obviously a very tangible and visible way that we express our love for the Lord. But the call of giving my heart to God runs so deep. And 110th Psalm is quite unique in that for one thing, again, it's only seven verses. And in a brief, compressed way, these seven verses touch on the vast span of the eternal plan of God, not only for salvation, but for the redeemed people of God to have a sense of mission, a sense of identity. And it touches on it from eternity past. In verse 1, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In the verse 4, where God says, I have sworn and will not change my mind. You, referring to the future Messiah, you 
are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this, this very um, poetic psalm uh, has at, at the vital center of it in verse 3 an insight that we want to focus on a bit today. And that insight is in verse 3 where the Lord speaks about what happens in the hearts of people who know that Christ is on the throne. Can we update it and think of it just that way? As you look at that third verse, you can think of it like this. The general theme of the chapter is that Christ's scepter is extended to us. Okay. So first of all, we read in verses 1 and 2 that Christ will be seated at the right hand of God the Father and his royal scepter is extended. Well, one of the one of the most vital truths about that for us is that the scepter that's spoken of in Psalm 110 refers to his rule and authority. And I'd like to ask you to think about it in this light that when the scepter is extended to you, that means God has given the gift of righteousness through Christ, and he's inviting us to come into his presence. That is a, it's not just a casual possibility, it is an active invitation. In fact, I can say it this way. If you're sitting here today, you can count on the word of God that the, that the scepter of Christ's righteous rule is extended to you. It's like a warm welcome. Remember the story of Esther and the Persian king when Esther was challenged to go before the king and make a, an absolutely urgent appeal on the behalf of the survival of her people. And the text of Esther, chapters 3 and 4, explains that the custom of that royal court was such that anyone who appeared uninvited in the throne room of that emperor, if the emperor chose not to welcome them, they literally, the, the penalty could be execution or something less, but as great as execution. In the case of a king, an emperor, who sees someone appear uninvited at the royal court, if he extends the golden scepter, it is a welcome come in. And of course, we know the story that Esther, having never made that, crossed that threshold before on her own accord, but at the behest of, of Mordecai, her cousin, and learning about the, the severe peril that, that her people, the Jewish people, were in because of the lies of Haman and the devious strategy that Haman had hatched to try to get the Jews murdered and massacred, that Esther took that risk when she responded to the challenge to say, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going before King Ahasuerus on behalf of my people. And we know that when she crossed that threshold, that the king, I imagine it like this, that his eyes lit up brightly, and he extended that royal scepter and welcomed Esther into the court. Well, that very same principle is embedded in Psalm 110 about the future reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and you and me. God the Father saying, 
the righteous Messiah will sit at my right hand and the scepter of his authority, that, that symbol of his eternal right to rule, will be sent forth from Zion. That mighty scepter is God's, the symbol, really, of the gospel of Jesus Christ breaking through the barrier of our sin that separates us from a holy God and saying, the royal scepter is extended to you. Now, that scepter also is significant because it shows that even when we can't see it with our natural eyes, Jesus is now ruling in the midst of his enemies. So we look at terrible news across the internet or across TV screens, and we find ourselves overwhelmed at times with the sheer magnitude of evil that seems to go unaddressed and unresolved in the world around us, not the least of which is the horrific evils of war that continues to rage in Eastern Europe and the horrible suffering of, of, um, of tribal groups in Nigeria that have been attacked repeatedly over and over and over again by marauding bands of, of Islamic extremists. And the list goes on and on and on. So the child of God, when he or she is before the throne of God in prayer, is reminded in Psalm 110, the eternal reign of our righteous Messiah is extended toward us and reminds us that his rule is vanquishing all evil, that the day will come when he'll snap his fingers and he will wrap it up. And all evil will meet its final accounting and in the meantime, that leads us to the core of the psalm, the big million-dollar question of why brings us back to the very essence of this fact that Christ is a living, active, eternal priesthood, and that third verse, the core issue in the good news of the gospel is that God has created us to be people who give a free willing response to the Lord. The word willingness in verse 3 is in an intensified Hebrew verb form in the original manuscript, and the intensity of it implies your people will offer themselves willingly, freely to God. Why is that so important? Why is this volunteerism, if you will, in verse 3, so vital to this text. Well, I would suggest, if you look at it in your own Bible, I'm reading the ESV, if you have something similar to that, you'll see this, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Now, notice that that third verse is not being addressed to you and me. That third verse is being addressed to the Messiah. It's the word of God the Father to God the Son. It's like in Psalm 2 when the Bible says, I will declare the decree. Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. It's similar to Psalm 110 verse 3. It is your people. Who are these people that he's speaking of? He's speaking of people like you 
who have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and by experiencing the new birth and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you've become a child of God whose heart is set free to obey willingly and boldly and vigorously. (laughs) Well, you might say, Pastor, I struggle with obeying God in certain areas. If we're all honest, how many of us in this gathering today could say, there's a couple of things that I find pretty hard to really give God what I know would be best. How many of you could say, I I struggle with that? And so you go to a text like Psalm 110, verse 3, and I hope you can see there that though it's poetic, and I know it's a very tightly compressed prophetic passage, so we have to really think about what these words mean. And one writer said, I thought so uh, insightfully, way back in the 19th century that when he read Psalm 110, he said, it's like looking at a small map of a large country. I love that illustration. It's like a small map of a very large country because it is a seven-verse psalm that touches literally on every every, um, key era of salvation from the Father and the Son in the councils of eternity in verse 1 to the ultimate triumph of Christ when he's pictured in verse 7 as a warrior who stops by the stream to get a drink of refreshing and keeps his eyes on the goal of total conquest. So in all of this, we see really something that for all of us, I think, is an astounding connection with the gospel. What is it? The astounding connection is that nothing is more revealing of God's love for every individual on this planet than the fact that it is his design to have willing worshipers. Willing worshipers. There is not one shred of coercion in God toward the redeemed. That is, he created us, note this and think about Psalm chapter 8, we won't toggle over there, but think about Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, for you have made human beings a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor, and placed them over the works of your hands. O Lord! Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 and Psalm 110 verse 3 combined help us realize that the design of God, the highest goal of God for humanity is that each heart would be free and that in that freedom They would lovingly give back to their creator the glory that is due unto his name. But religious systems that try to bind people or coerce people, that any system of man, whether it's domestic or religious or governmental, that seeks the the undue controlling of the wills of human beings, The manipulation of the hearts and consciences of people is touching a live hazardous wire near the throne room of God. Because God created us to be free. 
And freedom includes the possibility of turning away. If there was no possibility of turning away, the loving response, the joyous giving, the jubilant dance of the people of God would be suspect. But oh, when the word of God to the Son is declared, your scepter goes forth from Zion, your mighty scepter, and your people, the redeemed people of God, will offer themselves willingly. And so we find that connection is, the connection is the royal reign of Christ in three dimensions that are hinted at in Psalm 110 in a phenomenal way, really in a way, bring us to the very summit of the gospel truth of his death, burial, and resurrection for this psalm and Psalm 2 and Psalm 45 and other key places about the Messiah's reign show us that in one person, the eternal only begotten Son of God, all three vital offices of Old Covenant era were fulfilled. He was the prophet, the priest, the king. Now, under the law of Moses, the royal line could not be in the same person as in the Levitical priestly line. And we find in the prophetic word, God early on showed there could only be one Messiah because only one could be both priest and king, fulfilling that oath of verse 4, that God, he said, and to emphasize this, to be clear, this is no passing fancy with God. This is God's way of outlining the covenant power upon what you can count on. Why do we need to know some of these things? Somebody may wonder, well, these are kind of strange names and strange scriptures. Why do I need to know this? Well, the reason in a simple way is to say it's part of the anchor of your absolute assurance that God loves you and has made it possible for you to be a free worshiper, a giver, somebody who loves to come running to your loving Heavenly Father. Why? Well, God says about Christ, he's not changing his mind. Read it aloud from the screen with me, if you will. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Read it again. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And that's echoed in Hebrews chapter 7, where the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews explains that we have a great high priest in the Lord Jesus who's ever living to make intercession for us. And God wanted to be crystal clear for us, so he added an oath. Inasmuch as not without an oath was he made priest. Where was the oath? Right there in Psalm 110. The Lord swore. Now, I don't know about you, but shouldn't it be enough if God just says something? How many of us need him to swear? But God chose to swear. And Hebrews chapter 6 explains that he wanted it to be clear by two immutable things that individuals would know it's impossible for God to lie. And so he did a covenant and he added an oath to it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like 
laying your right hand on a Bible raised exponentially to the thousandth power. It's God himself saying, I stake my character on this. Christ, prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills the prophetic role as he denounces the evil of his time and says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You try to You try to clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of corruption. Christ became the prophet on the scene who clearly delineated between evil and righteousness. He became priest on the scene and the sacrificial offering that the priest would offer. Christ is both our sacrifice lamb and the great high priest who offered the blood to the Father in eternity and the ruling king. He's the king priest. Well, because of this, uh, we can see this connection then between the high priestly ministry of Jesus. That simply means that he lives today. Would you shout it out with me? He lives today. He lives today. He reigns today. He is present tense, our great high priest. And he gave a foreshadowing of how vital it is that you can be free that you can be free to give your very best to God because in John 17, he showed what that priestly prayer would be like. What did he pray in John 17? I am no more in the world, he anticipates, after the next day's events on Calvary, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are one. In John 17, the great high priest, even before he shed his blood on the cross the next day, the great high priest was anticipating that you, friend, each one of you here today, you would be prayed for. You would be prayed for. You would be governed and guided and encouraged and nurtured by the great high priest who in his humanity was touched with all the feeling of our infirmities and yet never sinned, though he could have sinned. And in defeating the realm of Satan's grip on humanity in the resurrection of Jesus, believing in the Son of God means you and I are free. Free from condemnation, free from the law, free from failure, free from the devices of of a very determined strategic enemy called Satan. In 1 Peter 5, 8, where Peter warned, be vigilant, be alert, because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You can resist him steadfast in the faith. How do you do that? Because you know in your heart that Christ has conquered your adversary. Now, the real upshot of all, the reason that I, I, I felt we, we should just walk through this is that now when you come back to this, in, in this case is a paraphrase from the message translation of that third verse, it should crystallize for us that being able to freely give our hearts to God is not just a privilege, but what an incredible adventure it is. To think this very day, on this August 28th, that as we go out into this beautiful afternoon, that all of us can choose, far more than we realize sometimes, God has put the power of volition in us, the exercise of choice. Oh, sure, we sometimes feel like things are kind of 
already preset for us. But the Lord offers us a very open zone of freedom to choose. And here's how he said it in Psalm 110, verse 3. Your people, the Lord, your people, Jesus, will freely join you. (laughs) Oh my, how many of you want to join Jesus today? Join up with Jesus. Your people will freely join you. This paraphrase gives it to us this way. Resplendent in holy armor on the great day of your conquest. Yes, they will join you at the fresh break of day and with all the vigor of youth. That's right. God has made it possible for the people at Liberty Church on Sunday, August the 28th, to have fresh vitality, fresh energy, fresh encouragement to love God, to worship God, to serve God, to forgive those who offend us, to give financially and give of our time and give of our energies and give generously space to other people to be themselves while bringing the good news of the gospel into that zone of freedom. Why is all that important? Well, because God designed, God fashioned us, God fashioned human beings according to Psalm 8 with the power of a volitional choice. And that power of a volitional choice is something priceless in the sight of God. It is one of the reasons why when Jesus was talking in a very intense, controversial moment with the Pharisees in John chapter 7, and they were, they were challenging him, how can you claim to bring an eternal truth to us when you were born of, you were born of human parents from their vantage point, thinking of him being from Nazareth? And Jesus said, if anyone, in John 7, 17, if anyone wills, would you shout out the word will? Will. If anyone wills to do God's will, he will know of this teaching and he will receive the truth that I've brought from my Father. Now, to expand on that, I want to I wrap this up today by, by giving us kind of a sense. As we, as we finish the summer season Nothing is more significant for this church than a sense of mission about making disciples. And these verses show us that Jesus counted on this free heart, this freedom of the Spirit, this joyous freedom to decide within your heart. When he talked about what it would mean to move from simply being a professing Christian to being an active, passionate disciple. Now, the goal in the New Testament is always making disciples. But there's two parts of that goal. The Great Commission is go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. There's two parts to that goal. One is that daily, if you are in Christ Jesus and you're praying to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit and you're getting into the Word of God and you're joyously saying, Lord, in spite of my troubles and adversities, I want to be willing for your best then you are on track for part one. Part one is becoming a disciple. Someone asked a friend of ours some years ago, I love this answer, how long does it take to make a disciple? And the answer is a little longer than a lifetime. Because discipling 
is a daily pursuit in our lives. And it means every day, no matter how many years I may have confessed to personal relationship with Christ, what does it mean to say, Lord, I want to wake up this day as if I'm a brand new, fresh, eager, learning disciple. Lord, show me your ways. So a disciple on part one is somebody who says, I want to keep growing. There are no graduation ceremonies in discipleship. Discipleship is every day I want to know Jesus better. And when I'm in my 80s or my 90s, I'm still needing to be discipled because Jesus, my Savior, is still doing that work in my life. The other part of it is being involved in making disciples. And a church, the smallest of churches, the most humble of congregational expressions, is a place where all of God's people are called to be a part of making disciples. And why was that important? Well, in John 8, 31, Jesus had a group of people who were already talking the talk. They said, you know, we believe what you're saying. We're, we're impressed. We're, we're with you there, Jesus. And in John 8, 31, the Bible says that Jesus spoke to those Jews who were believing on him, and he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So what's the fruit of discipleship? Ultimately, the very freedom we've been talking about, that willing heart toward God that takes joy in knowing the Lord has placed us in the center of His grace, anchored us in that oath of His covenant. Christ's conquest is invincible for us and on our behalf. And we have a living and active high priest to whom we can run with our deepest hurts, our most intimate agonies, as well as the request of our soul. And because of that, the Word of God continues to make you free, free, free. You might be here today and you might say, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm completely free from fear. Well, bring it to your high priest. Boldly bring it to your high priest. Don't just kind of mumble, well, God, I don't know, I'm not sure. Really, I don't know. But actually come to the Lord with that package of hurt or that paralyzing fear or that gripping re regret and bring it to Christ boldly, actively, happily anticipating that yes, the Lord says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. In John 15, 7, Jesus expanded this truth by telling the disciples that if you abide in me and my words continually abide in you, even your willingness is going to grow because you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. And then finally, in James chapter 1, the Bible tells us that to receive this living word means we're called to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, how could we do this as we go today? Well, David gives us a great example in Psalm chapter 5 of the I wills. And we're just going to do these together as a kind of a love offering to God. Because the fifth psalm compresses and gives us this opportunity to recognize that in the simplest of ways, every time we act, open our mouths in worship, even if, if, whether it's a song you know or it's a scripture you're uttering to God, or it's just a moment of worship from your heart, that the I will is absolutely 
crucial. What did he say in Psalm 5? He said, I will enter your house. I will bow down in awe of you, and I will give thanks with my whole heart. I want to invite you to stand for a moment, and we're going to give God these three expressions of willingness. Remember as you stand for a moment that that willingness was an intensified word in our text today. And the reason it was is that, is that the Lord was showing us there's more in this than most of us have realized. There's a joyous discovery of what it means to say in these three simple examples, I will enter your house, I will bow down in awe of you, and I will give thanks. So we're going to say them all together and just give it, make it an offering from our hearts unto the Lord. And as you do, I, I know this can be a springboard in the coming week to many of you maybe waking in a different, with a different perspective, maybe in the midst of a difficult day, maybe late at night. But in some way, I pray that these three I wills will travel with you in this coming week and through the Labor Day weekend ahead. Would you say it aloud with me now? I will enter your house. I will bow down in awe of you. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. Once again, just a cappella, let's sing that. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. Amen, amen. Just before we sing... Uh, again, I, I want to thank you all for cooking. We love all this great food. In a moment after Justin leads us and uh, just lead us in prayer, or Josiah, lead us in prayer over this meal, if you would. Uh, and then we'll just, as Josiah dismisses us in a moment, we'll just head right down the hallway, self-serve to the buffet line. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. We want to have fun together. God bless you all.